0: Well, let me say it's great to be here. If you're a guest, so am I. And um, it really is good to be here. It's a few years since I was last at uh, Christchurch Forward. So it's a real privilege to share with you. Some of you will know that my daughter and son-in-law and three little grandsons attend here regularly and they love it. They really do. So it's nice to be with them as well as with you. I was in Reading University just a few weeks ago, I was there for a week, and um, this sounds a little similar to something I was saying earlier about a greeting card, because I was nosing around the the shops that are on the campus in in Reading, and there was Blackwell's bookshop, and there were some greeting cards which I looked at, and one of them absolutely horrified me, and I bought it. the reason it horrified me, there was nothing inside. You opened it up, it was just blank, and back page, were, of the back pages of the card just had the, the publishers, etc. And on the front, there was no picture, just five words. But they really struck me. Heaven is the new hell. That's what it said. That was the greeting card. That, that, they, they were the good wishes we were to send to people. Heaven is the new hell. And, and I really was, I felt a little angry. And then I began to think about it and I thought, well actually, for many people, heaven would be hell. And for many people, the, the idea of being with God, uh, and God, with God's people... And to worship God, to praise God, etc., that really would be hell. We have drifted so far away in our land from Christian values, Christian beliefs. Mm. Maybe the person who devised that card was actually onto to something. Now, I don't know what your thoughts are about heaven and hell and life after death. And I suppose your thoughts are as valid as anybody else's. And my thoughts, who am I to say that I'm right and you're wrong or whatever. But the one person who has the right to speak about eternity is God himself. He is the eternal God. His home is heaven. And he is the one who has revealed to us about eternity, about life after death, about heaven and about hell. And therefore, when we turn to the Bible, to God's word, and ask him to teach us, we're, we're learning from the one who knows this subject better than anybody else. And actually, when you begin to study what the Bible teaches about heaven, you sort of think, yes, the person who is not belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ, who doesn't know Christ, really would not be at home there at all. So in the simplest of messages, and I think some of you might think at the end of this little message, oh dear, that that was almost childish in the way it was so simple. I've just jotted down a few words that would help us to understand what heaven is like, to describe heaven. And as we go through these, I want you to try and think, okay, if if that is what heaven is like, would I be happy there? And I I would suggest that if you're not a person who is yet right with God, this isn't the place you'd be happy in. But if you're a Christian, you'd think, oh yes, I would love that. First of all, I want to say that heaven is a place of singing. That's S-I-N-G. All right, so it's not sinning, it's singing. Heaven is a place of singing. Now, of course, we get the, the, the idea of this, you know, just from the sort of caricatures of heaven that we see in newspapers and books and all the rest. But it is a place, not so much that people are idling around, sitting on clouds, playing a harp or whatever, but it is a place of great rejoicing, of praise, of exuberance, of delight, of joy, a place of singing. Listen to these words from the book of Revelation again. Chapter 15, we read, and I saw something. Now, this is John, the youngest of Jesus' 12 disciples, who outlived the others, was actually imprisoned for his faith on the Isle of Patmos. And while he was there as a Christian, he had visions that he was to write down in in the book of Revelation. Visions of the Lord Jesus Christ. Visions of the future. And this is what he said. I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God, they sing the song of Of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, that is of the Lord Jesus, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. And then it goes on. It's a place of great singing. Now, I have to say, My voice is not really worth listening to. Even if you could put your ear to the the bathroom door, you'd think, oh no, forget this. I may sing in the bath, but it's not what you want to hear. But of course in heaven, we'll be given new bodies. There'll be no more wrinkles. There'll be no more pains and aches. There'll be no more disease. And I think we'll have wonderful, wonderful voices you know I I may have the figure of a Pavarotti at the moment but one day I'll have the voice of a Pavarotti as well and and that will be marvelous it's a place of singing now if, if you wouldn't enjoy singing the praise of God then really heaven would be the new hell wouldn't it to have eternity just to praise the Lord Jesus it doesn't mean that's all we do There is work in heaven, but it is work without weariness. There are responsibilities, things are happening. But nevertheless, it's a place of singing. Secondly, it's a place of security. It's a place where, as we just had read to us, the former things have passed away. When there is no more pain. When there's no more sin, or sickness, or separation, or disease, or death. When the sense that we sometimes have of futility has gone forever because everything has real meaning and purpose. I read in my newspaper this week a very, very sad little comment from David Meller. You remember the ex-conservative cabinet minister? Now um, he introduces quite serious um, classical music on Classic FM. And he said, in my newspaper anyway, he said, Life has been an endless pursuit of futility. And I, I have to say, my heart went out to him. I wrote him a letter. I sent him a John's Gospel. Whether he'll acknowledge it, who knows, but he may as well have one. And, uh, and I, I urged him to look again at the Lord Jesus Christ. But sometimes you get to the end of the day and think, what have I accomplished? Or do you get to the end of a decade and you look back and think, hmm, that, that has gone so quickly, but, but what is life all about? What am I doing? What's the purpose of it? Suddenly, all these things will be done away with and, and we will be in the presence of God forever. And we'll be secure. No fear's there. I think most of us at times, there have been fear. Fear that the doctor might say something serious. Fear that uh, the relationship might break up. Fear that where I'm living isn't safe. Fear about what's happening to our children or our parents. It's amazing. Fear's like a fog. You know, fog is billions and billions of tiny little globules of H2O. But they're they're, they're so minute, but they blur your vision. You can't see forward, and, and you tread very, very carefully. Fears like that. But there'll be no fear in heaven. It's a place of security. We will be in the grip of God, and we'll be there for eternity. It's a wonderful place, is heaven. And then thirdly, now this might sound very strange, but heaven is a place for sinners, Now, some of you are thinking, just a minute, Roger, I think you made a mistake there. Surely heaven is a place for the good. The good go up, the bad go down, don't they? But actually, that's not what the Bible teaches. When you start to think about it, if it was for the good, who is good? we all delighted, even if we we were very sympathetic to him and understanding towards him. But we all delighted in hearing Gordon Brown, thinking nobody was listening, making his comments about Gillian Duffy and all the rest. But, But actually, there is that side of us, in each of us. It's not that we can excuse it, it's wrong. But the God who knows how we think, the God who hears every word we say, the God who knows everything we do, The things in which I become involved. The the places I go. The people with whom I get involved. The God who knows us through and through. Sees us as people who are not worthy of heaven. Nobody is. And yet heaven is a place for sinners? Yes, because as I quoted this morning from Martin Luther, heaven is not a reward. Heaven is a gift. You see, if it was that Jesus came into the world for good people, he'd never have found any. But when he says, I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance, every time I read it, something within me wants to put up my hand and say, Excuse me, but I qualify. And we do. He came for people who've messed up, He came for people who've broken the commandments. He came for people who have pushed God to the edge of the plate of our our lives and and, and sidelined him and thought, no, I'm I'm the captain of my own soul. I'll live and do as I please. I will make my own choices, thank you. He came for people like us. And actually, that's one of the things in answering your question from earlier, Gareth, why do I do what I'm doing? I I just think its I, I have the most wonderful message in all the world that I can go to anybody, whoever they are, And speak to them about how Jesus Christ can change them and make all things new. Heaven is for sinners who have turned from their sin and trusted Jesus Christ. If you want, heaven is filled with sinful people who have been forgiven. Uh, Peter, you remember he was the outspoken disciple of Jesus Christ sometimes he opened his mouth and put his foot in it sometimes he made some great mistakes but he loved the Lord and he served him very very faithfully and as an old man he wrote to Christians scattered throughout the then known world and, and he, he, he's encouraging them and he says do you know there is a place reserved in heaven for you but, but they were all people, they'd made mistakes nobody is perfect, we know that yet Jesus came into the world for such as, such as them. Let me tell you a story. It, it, it's, it's moving, it's, it's touching, but it's real. It happened just in the last couple of years. It started four years ago with a little nine-year-old boy whom I knew, who his parents, before they ever got together and married and, uh, you know, corresponded with the family. I've known the family for many years. But their second child, David, age nine, was diagnosed having a, a brain tumour. He had some serious surgery, and at first things looked quite good, but then they began to deteriorate again. But for little David, brought up in a Christian home where his parents prayed for him and taught him the scriptures, and he went to church and all the rest, there were some battles going on in his mind. He, he loved Arsenal. Now, I I just can't understand how anybody can get excited about any football. If if dear Philip Hacking is here, you know, let him delude himself and support Sheffield Wednesday. We all know better, don't we? Oh, well, perhaps, sorry, half of us know better. Perhaps that's what I should say. But but for this little David Johnson, he, he loved Arsenal. And really, yes, he believed in God. He went to church. But really, Arsenal was his God. But he knew as well that he wasn't well. And there was an almighty struggle going on. He was asked once by a charity, the Starlight Trust, you know, we'd like to do something special for you. So they arranged, he lived near Bristol, they arranged for one of these stretch limos at his request to take him from Bristol to watch Arsenal play at home and meet some of the players and then go to the theatre in London and watch Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoats and all the rest. Wonderful things given to a little boy, but he's dying. And there was a battle going on and eventually it took about 18 months for this little lad to resolve this battle to realise that okay even his beloved arsenal couldn't help him at this time. And he firmly put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just after Christmas two years ago he and his older sister and his mum and dad went together to see the consultant who sat them all down. There was a nurse there and this Chinese consultant said, David, I have to tell you, we are losing the battle. And David said, Does that mean I'm going to die? And the consultant, I suppose very loath to say to an 11 year old boy now, said, Well, I'm afraid it does. And David said, I think I need to tell you, I have a friend, and he's called Jesus. And when I die, I'm going to be with him forever in heaven because he loved me. Apparently the nurse was in the corner just weeping buckets at this. But the the consultant said, David, you are a very brave boy and I'm sure that God will look after you and your mum and dad and sister. I too have a friend called Jesus. And then David said, are your mum and dad Christians as well? And the doctor said, well, I'm afraid they're not. They worship false gods. In March, just two years ago, little David Johnson went to be with the Lord. He went to heaven. Was he perfect? Do you know any 11-year-old boy who's perfect? Had he never sinned? Of course he'd sinned. Never committed a great crime, you know, but I suppose in many ways I haven't. You know, I've, I've never murdered anybody. I've never robbed a bank. I can name some banks that have robbed me, but they're allowed to do that, you know. I've never done any headline-hitting crime, but am I a sinful person? Yes. And yet, to such as me, to such as little David Johnson, to you, whoever you are, heaven is for sinful people who have been forgiven. Now, if you feel, oh, I'm sinful, but I've never been forgiven... I don't know that you'd be at home in heaven. I think you'd feel grubby and dirty in this place where the, the glory of the Lord just shines and prevails over the whole atmosphere. I, I don't know that you'd want that. But if your sin has been dealt with, if you've been clothed, covered with all the goodness of Jesus, in other words, your sin transferred to Him and His goodness credited to your account, oh, suddenly you'll feel at home in heaven. Heaven, a place of singing and security, a place for sinners. And then, heaven is a place of the Saviour. It's a place where above all else, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb, as we read in the Bible, where the Lamb reigns, where Jesus is exalted, where Jesus is honoured and loved and worshipped and followed Where there's fellowship with him that is constant and continual and and a deepening intimacy with him throughout all eternity... To be with him in eternity is not like a marriage that has gone stale where you sort of think, you know, what else is there to talk about? We know each other inside out and all. No, no, no. Give us all eternity and there'll be more delights to discover about the Lord. Eternity isn't long enough to discover everything there is to discover about God. It's a place where Jesus is. Let let me read again from the book of Revelation. This is right at the beginning in chapter 1 and it's introduced to us. This John on the island of Patmos and then i John, verse 9, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and... What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia and so it goes on. In verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice. There's such richness in this voice. You don't just hear it, you see it. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet... And so it goes on. Jesus. He's the center of heaven. He's the one who's adored. And if you sort of feel... I don't know that I want that. Then I suppose heaven would be the new hell. Not everybody was comfortable in the, in, in, in the presence of Jesus. There were those who plotted and schemed against him. Those who wanted rid of him. Those who just felt uncomfortable I all. But for the Christian, oh, to worship him. You say, but why do you worship him? Why make so much of Jesus The Bible teaches there is one God, only one God, not a multiplicity of God, so you can choose your religion and, you know, follow that and that's fine. No, no, no. The Bible teaches there is one God who has no beginning and no end. He is eternal. Now, this one God is a trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. You say, I don't understand that. Well, of course, in one sense, none of us will ever understand God. He's beyond our comprehension. And yet, it's not as difficult a concept as you might imagine. Let me give an illustration. There is only one me, you'll be pleased to know. And there is only one you. And, well, let me for a moment just talk about me. But you can apply it to you as well. I, I have a body. Okay? It, it's, it's five foot well, it's between five foot five and five foot six, so it's well over five foot, let's just say that. And, um, and, and it has dark hair and dark eyes, and it's a little bit overweight, but that's because of McDonald's. I just, I just, find, I just find it amazing how tasty plastic can be. And uh, my, my body is fairly important to me, okay? And I look after it. I, 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 I put it to sleep every so often, and, or allow it to sleep. I, I feed it too often, and, uh, you know, I. Uh, I was about to tell a lie. I was going to say I exercised it. That's not true. I should exercise it. Okay, But uh, my body. Now, my body is important. About ten days' time, I'm, I'm going for a minor... Amputation. A bit of my body is going to be removed. And my body is important, but I won't weep buckets when the barber sweeps up the hair he's just cut off, you know. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, you know uh, uh, so my body is important, but it's not altogether important. You know, it, it's, I could lose an arm and a leg and I'd still be me. But there's more to me than just a body. I, I have a mind, a, my, my personality, my character, my well the Bible calls it my soul. And I also have a spirit, that side of me which was created to know and worship and appreciate and enjoy God. So there is one me, but I am actually body, soul, and spirit, and there is communication between these three as we were aspects of me. You know, it's, uh, the alarm clock went this morning at half past six, and, and my body said, "Ignore." And my soul and spirit said, Carswell, do not be bone idle. get up. And there was a battle. And about 20 minutes later, my body obeyed and got up, you know. And, 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 and supposing I was to go jogging on the streets, you know. My body would be saying something like, <laughs> Roger, you're making a fool of yourself. And, and, and um, the soul might say something like, this is doing you good. It wouldn't be true because who wants to have a heart attack on a pavement in Sheffield? But you get the idea. So there is one me But there are three, as it were, how do I put it, aspects of me. And I was created in the image of God. One God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And God the Son came from the Father and the Spirit to planet Earth. God the Creator became like us, His creation God was big enough to become small and strong enough to become as weak as a helpless little baby laid in a manger. And this was the mighty God. And why had he come? To teach great things? Well, yes. To do great things? Yes. To live a perfect, pure, consistent life? Yes. But not primarily those things. He was born to die. And in dying on a cross... In all the physical and emotional suffering that he endured. He was doing his greatest work. The Bible describes the work of God creating everything as the work of God's fingers. But what Jesus accomplished on the cross, the Bible describes as the work of God's arm. In other words, it was a far greater thing that Christ accomplished by his death. Than even bringing everything into being. Because when he was on the cross, God took Our sin. Your sin. My sin. Could I be very personal? Could I ask you just to think of one thing in your life that you deeply regret? That sin was laid on Jesus on the cross as well as the millions and millions of others. And hanging on that cross he bore in his own body our sin because he loves us. Wounds in his hands and feet and side, crown of thorns on his head. And he carried the burden, the weight of the world's sin on himself. And when he had fully paid the price of sin, he cried out, finished. And he dismissed his spirit. Now, it's quite important because, of course, they intended to kill Jesus. But nobody killed Jesus. How could they? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. He said, no one can take my life from me. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. Nobody killed Jesus. They crucified him. And when he'd fully paid the price of sin, he dismissed his spirit. He gave up the ghost. If you want, he was the only person in history who ever chose to die. You say, oh, no, just a moment Roger I know so and so they committed suicide they chose to die no they didn't they chose how they would die and why they or when they would die and where they would die but if they hadn't taken their own life they would eventually have died right but Jesus need never have died but he laid down his life on the cross out of love for you and for me he paid for our sins so that we could be forgiven the penalty was paid so that our sins might be washed away. And, and then buried, three days later, he rose again. He is alive. A risen Christ who has conquered the grave. Now, he is the one who has ascended and dominates all that there is in heaven. So, Michael Faraday, the great chemist and physicist and um, uh, philosopher, inventor, was a christian man and a fellow scientist uh, said to him on one occasion what do you think what do you think will occupy you in heaven and he said christ will be there and that is sufficient for me and every christian feels a little like that oh if jesus is there i won't be watching eastenders I, you know i won't be bothered about i don't know who eventually is made Prime Minister. I'm not saying that's not important, but something greater, something greater. And then one other thing. It's a place of singing and security. It's a place for sinners. It's a place of the Saviour. But I want to ask you a question now. I want to ask, is this a place where you will be? You say, oh, Roger, I'd love to know the answer to that. You know, I'm hoping for the best. Maybe it will be, but can anybody be sure? I once heard a comedian on Radio 5 say, it was Peter Cook actually, he just said, um, I believe 95% of men in Britain believe they are going to hell. Interesting statement. But there is no reason for anyone, anyone to go to hell. Because Jesus has died for us, the sin that would keep us out of heaven. The sin that has cut us off from God, the sin that would condemn us to hell, has been paid for. So what does God want of us? He wants us simply to turn from that which is wrong, the Bible calls it repentance, and put our trust in Jesus. The Bible calls that faith or belief. And the moment we do, yes, our sins are washed away, and there is no condemnation to we who are in Christ Jesus. We are His, forever. We're in his grip and, and, and we won't ever want to walk out and he won't let us slip out. We're his. And he'll take us through life and then through death and then into eternity. There was a well-known preacher in the United States of America called Charles Fuller. Sorry to read this, I, but you'll see why in a moment. And he announced that... Um, He was in California, he announced to his congregation that next week he wanted to preach on the theme of heaven. And during the week he received a beautiful letter that was uh, sent to him by a very old man who was very ill, but nevertheless was a member of the congregation. And I'd like to read part of the letter. It's a little long, but it's great. Pastor, next Sunday you're to talk about heaven. I'm interested in that land because I've held a clear title to a bit of property there for 55 years now. I didn't buy it. It was given to me without money and without price. But the donor purchased it for me at tremendous sacrifice. I'm not holding it for speculation since the title is not transferable. It is not a vacant lot. For more than half a century, I've been sending materials out of which the greatest architect and builder of the universe has been building a home for me, which will never need to be remodeled or repaired because it will suit me perfectly, individually, and will never grow old. Ants and mites cannot ever undermine its foundations for they rest on the rock of ages. Fire cannot destroy it. Floods cannot wash it away. No locks or bolts will ever be placed upon its doors, for no vicious person can ever enter the land where my dwelling stands. It's now almost completed and ready for me to enter in and abide in peace eternally without fear of ever being rejected. I hope to hear your sermon on heaven next Sunday from my home in Los Angeles, but I've no assurance that I will. My ticket to heaven has no date marked for the journey and no permit for baggage. Yes, I'm ready to go. And I may not be here while you're talking next Sunday, but I'll meet you there someday. (laughs) Soon home. It's the same thought, isn't it, as Mark Ashton? Heaven. Heaven is for sinners who trusted the Lord Jesus. Doctor, I want you to know, I have a friend. He's called Jesus. If you're not able to say that, really, heaven will be the new hell. And yet, if you were to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you and come and live within you, do you know, he would change the way you think about Jesus, about heaven, about life, about everything. He does a work within you and gives you such a taste, such an hors d'oeuvre of heaven, you long for it, really. I'm not saying that death is something we're not bothered about. Death is an enemy. But it is a defeated enemy, defeated by Jesus, who has the keys of heaven, of hell. And he wants to give you a place. You don't deserve it, nor do I. But heaven is not a reward, it is a gift. You say, All right, how can I be certain of heaven? Well, the Bible just simply teaches repent and believe. And you will be saved. You will have eternal life. You say, how can I do that? Well, it's coming to God and saying, God, I am sorry for my sin. With your help, I want to turn from that which is wrong in my life. And I want the Lord Jesus who loved me and died for me to forgive me. And the Jesus who rose from the dead to come and live within me. Could I ask you, have you ever prayed like that? And trusted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? And if not, would you be willing to do so tonight? And say, oh, there's so much more to to learn. Yes, I know that. But we come just as ordinary citizens who've gone astray, and we say, would you welcome me back? And he will. And he makes us his children, he makes us citizens of heaven. I became a Christian, as I mentioned to Gareth earlier. and in many ways very similar to the way that Owen did. I I just, I was on holiday in the Middle East, but I prayed a prayer of saying to God, I'm sorry, and I want to commit myself to you. And it was like the hinge which changed the whole direction of my life. God answered that prayer and became mine, and I have never, never regretted it. And I would like to close this little sermon, simple sermon, by praying a prayer very similar to the one that I prayed. And I'd like to invite you, whoever you are, to pray it with me. I'm going to pray it slowly so you can repeat the words, not out loud, but in your mind and in your heart, and make this prayer your own. And if you do, I'd like you to do one other thing. Gareth and I will be in the foyer, I'll be by the door, Gareth will be at the back, and we will have with us this booklet called Trust in Christ. And it simply explains what it means to become a Christian, and there's a prayer very similar to the one I'm about to pray, and then some sort of tips about going on and becoming strong as a Christian. Would you come up to either Gareth or to me and just say, I'd like one of those booklets, please, or I prayed with you, and we'll give you one. These are free, all right? The other, Sorry, I have to charge for those just to cover the cost, but, but these are free. And we'd love to give you one. And then I just wholeheartedly commend to you the the Christianity Explored course beginning a week on Tuesday. I know the course very well. And I I just say it's brilliant. Digging into the Gospel of Mark, trying to answer our questions it's as if the real Jesus walks off the pages of the Bible and introduces himself to us. It's a great course. Try it. You know, no commitment to come every week if you don't enjoy it. But I think you'll love it. And that begins a, 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 a week on Tuesday. But don't wait till then, tonight, if you know you need to be certain of heaven. You need to get right with God. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. I'll pray this prayer slowly so that you can repeat the words and make them your own if you can. Oh God, thank you that you know everything there is to know about me. I want to say I am sorry for my sin. And with your help I want to turn from it. Thank you that the Lord Jesus loved me and died for me and rose again from the dead. Please forgive me. Come and live in my life. Become my Lord, my Saviour, my friend. And help me to follow you. For I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.